Get lit. Good morning, good evening, and everything in between. Welcome back to Get Lit, the literary podcast where we explore famous authors and the works that they write. Um, I am your host, Steph Spars, and here actually with a different host, Miss Katie Saul is back. Hello. <laughs> um, John was unable to be here this week because he is a structural engineer and did not have finals this week like us on the teaching faculty did. Um, so he was unable to be here, but Katie Saul graciously stepped in uh, as we pursue a new direction with this podcast, not like permanently, but sort of like a special episode um, where we have actually invited a real life author who is living and breathing and producing work, um, Andrew Gildy, to talk about his amazing comic, Man of Sin. Um, I don't think we have any corrections. We're working on getting um, stickers out to more folks. I'm very excited. I'm very proud of these stickers they've gotten. My students have all taken them, I think because of what they say, not because of what they're for, but you know... I'm not going to complain about it. So um, we're going to get more of those out. But again, feel free to plug and promote this as you see fit. Um, We obviously see it very fit. So I think without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started with this amazing interview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy hearing and be inspired by Andrew Gildy. So Andrew Gildy, who's agreed to come on today, um, has come all the way from the classroom down the hall. Um, full disclosure, Andrew Gildy does indeed teach with Katie Saul and I. He just also happens to be a literary genius in addition to being an awesome teacher. Um, originally, though, he was um, a famous wrestler. He had a very long history, extensive history on WWE. His most famous match, which some of you may have seen at one point, was taking down John Cena. Um, after he wrestled professionally for many years, um, he was also Barack Obama's second speechwriter and went on to kind of create the voice that we know today as uh, Barack Obama's voice. Um, After that, he got his teaching certificate and went on to own a small farm and and petting zoo. And he very much enjoys spending time with his wonderful wife and his petting zoo in addition to writing and teaching. So that was like two truths and a lie, except it was all lies and (laughs) one truth. And the truth is that he has a wife. So... (laughs) Um, and he was a wrestler. And he was, a, but not, yeah, WWE, just like a, a wrestler, like a, like a Normal. Greek sport wrestler. Yeah. Like ancient Greece. That's what I think of, right? That's where it comes from. Right? Am I on? Yep, you're Do good. I go? You can go. Okay. Yeah, a l- lot less like chairs. <laughs> no more, chairs. <laughs> more, you know, more sweat, maybe. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perhaps. Possibly. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Andrew, thank you so much for joining well, us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Would you like to give maybe a little bit more accurate of an introduction now that the... the no, I like that up? one. Okay. <laughs> I, mine is way more boring and less entertaining. Perfect. I, you know... That's right. And it was really hard for me to get away from working with Obama, mm. but... Yeah. You know... We're so glad you came here. But the petting zoo... First off, I got the petting zoo because of the children. Of course. And, you know, hence the segue into teaching. It's all about the kids. It's all about the kids and the petting zoo children. Um, The petting zoo children? (laughs) Like like we bring the kids in and other kids come and pet them? Yes. It's a good hands-on learning experience. (laughs) Right. 
cool. It's great. Makes sense. It's, these are new teaching methods. For those of you who are educators of any kind, you can uh, get the cutting-edge news on, on petting zoos for children. Uh, we'll put that out uh, with this episode as well. Um, so we would love to get started. You have created um, an amazing series, an amazing world titled Man of Sin. Um, it's a graphic set of novels, and I believe you have two out? Yes. And four total. Uh, so the series is it's four issues in the series. The first two were published um, by Insane Comics in 2018, but Insane Comics closed their doors uh, in the summer, like July, before I could finish the series. And so now we uh, we're currently on Kickstarter to fund the graphic novel printing of the trade paperback, which collects all four issues. So it's the first two issues that were published and issues three and four that were unreleased all bundled together in the big graphic novel um, for for everyone's viewing and reading pleasures. <laughs> viewing and reading pleasures, which is amazing. Um, I've had the opportunity um, to peruse those issues and, and read them, and um, you've been kind enough to come in and talk to some of my classes as we study graphic novels um, to talk a little bit about those. So the first question that we have kind of to get this conversation started is, um, can you give us sort of a short synopsis of Man of Sin, um, and then tell us a little bit about what inspired you to create the world that became your published work? Yeah, uh, sure. So Man of Sin um, basically is a story about a father who is searching for the truth um, about his dead son and how um, that searching for the truth, that that tragedy is just consuming him. Um, it just leads him down a very deep and dark path and what happens when madness kind of consumes us. So it's a, it's a horror story. Um, it's It has some religious themes in it but it's not it's like uh the best way i could describe it is it's an antichrist story without religion um you don't need to have a background in theology um to understand it um or even to get it it's more like window dressing it's kind of like the the hubcaps of the car they look nice they're there don't really need them though um, and so what kind of got you interested in creating this world? When, whenever you're writing, and, and th- this is my, my take on, on creativity in a nutshell, is you have to have something to say. And w- what I mean by that is it's your worldview. It's the way you think the world should be. It's your um, take on um, certain situations or, f- or you know... Um, some people want to be political. I happen to like domestic things, um, domestic problems. Um, and so Man of Sin specifically came to me um, around the same time. A couple years back, I lost two very important people in my life. I lost my grandfather, and then a couple months later, I lost my stepfather, both to cancer. And what happened was I was grieving, but I was grieving in a different way than what I saw the rest of my family grieving in. And really what Man of Sin is, is it's one part kind of catharsis for me because it deals with those same things. What happens when you lose a family member? What happens to you individually? What happens to you uh, as a family unit? All of those, what happens to you as a friend? Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things I explore in it. But really, it was almost it's almost like a warning to myself, to my family, and all the readers of what happens when you can't process that when you're stuck in that loss. In Man of Sin, we, we, we see the main character, Damien, kind of slowly 
lose, you know, see his sanity and his grip and his world slip through his fingertips. And that's just because of what's consuming him. Um, and so that's kind of how Man of Sin came about. So I, I had this ideas and these emotions around that time swirling around in my head. And I happened to be watching the History Channel, and they had one of their wonderful documentaries um, where they would have experts on, and they would show, like, um, like ancient aliens or, like, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, and that one happened to be the Antichrist. Um, and I was watching it, and they, you know, for some odd reason, all Antichrists, um, like in popular media, is like a middle-aged 35-year-old who's like super wealthy for some reason and just is evil. <laughs> and like he's just going to destroy the world. And I, I just... Batman I, on the other side of the spectrum. To, to some extent, yeah. <laughs> and uh, as I was watching that, I, I thought it would be... First off, I, I think it was far-fetched because I grew up um, I grew up Roman Catholic. I had to go to, like, CCD and all that stuff. And so if the Antichrist is the opposite of Jesus, that would mean that he would have to be born as well. So obviously he didn't just show up as a 35-year-old dude who's, like, rich and wants to destroy the world. And so he would obviously have some sort of backstory and... Really, what it was was my response to that. You know, what would make a normal person? Because Jesus, in all effects, was normal. What would, and he wanted to save the world. Um, so, what forced him or made him want to save the world? And so, I thought, what would make a normal guy want to end the world? And so, then the world ending thing is kind of a metaphor for what happens when you let tragedy consume you you literally let the world end your world does end when you are stuck in that spot and so that's kind of how man of sin came about it was kind of my own personal tragedy and working through it and history channels really documentary you could bleep that we'll bleep it i have to figure out how to bleep it so your inspiration behind the story is deep and philosophical and interesting when it comes to actually writing a graphic novel or even like the outline Mm -hmm. of a story like that what's your process like the actual writing process and getting those thoughts on paper okay very very good question um first off i want i want to just put a disclaimer out there since you know Hopefully young people are listening to this and maybe there's a young person out there that um, wants to be a writer. Is that every writing process is different and it's unique to everyone. So whatever works for you, let it work for you. 90% of my writing is just me make-believing in my head. Whenever I can, I usually like to sit somewhere and just kind of zone out. And really that's just me constructing worlds and the people and the plot in my head so I could just hit play on the movie and then transcribe it writing. And I write um, almost like prose. It's less Mm -hmm. prosy. It's not meant for anyone other than me. I am just transcribing the movie in my head uh, down on paper, and I do that at 5 o'clock every morning. So before I go to bed, I lay in bed and make believe until I fall asleep. Um, then I wake up and then I transcribe what I just thought of the night before. And I go from paper 
to the computer. The computer is the last thing. The mm-hmm. the um, the last thing I kind of I work with because I feel like that's a lot more permanent. I like my stuff to be messy. I hate seeing the squiggly line. The red one mm-hmm. or the, the blue one. Yeah. Or the any, green one. The green, any the squiggly green. lines. Mm-hmm. Um, None of them. And it really, and as a writer, it really takes me out of the flow of writing. And so then I type up that the script, and most of my papers I write out first, which is a super, mm-hmm. super arduous process. Like, You know who, what other famous author did that? F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm. He wrote The Great Gatsby entirely by hand, and someone else typed it up later. I did not know that. Yeah, so it looks like you're on your way. (laughs) So kind of with that being said, now that you've sort of outlined your writing process, do you have any, like, strange writing quirks or interesting thing, like a certain kind of pen you have to write with or um, notebooks or a position that you need to be in to write? Yes, another thing that makes my story or writing process takes so long is that I have to reread everything I've wrote before before I write something new. Um, so that's a quirk. Um, I have music on. Um, I have classical music on at all times. Great. Um, Got a favorite? No, I just put Pandora classical. Great. <laughs> um, I couldn't even tell you one person. Ugh. As long as it's like, and it, I don't even have it very loud. I have it just loud enough. To, drown out the yeah um, john would be so excited to hear he's a huge classical music buff so i'll have to have him wreck some things no <laughs> idea i prefer writing at the library all right when i'm writing my scripts mm-hmm. for some odd reason i get the most done there mm-hmm. uh and i'm always have some sort of highly caffeinated beverage with me Mm-hmm. Always. Death wish. You definitely do. That's <laughs> true. He's not lying about that one. This podcast is sponsored by Mountain Dew and, and Death Wish Coffee and and Monster. <laughs> yeah, just and kidding. That's coffee. not. None of those are sponsoring <laughs> us. But if they felt like it and really wanted to, I'm sure Andrew and myself would not say no to either of those sponsorships. Correct. As you think about um, your writing process and your quirks, obviously you came to be this person today throughout many years if you look back to your younger writing self what would you tell that person you are as talented as you believe inside that's beautiful tweet it it's really beautiful retweet Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. did you think you'd like be published by this time when you were younger how young? Because there's different versions of young. Mm-hmm. Like, you like started writing. You started realizing, oh, I love. That. I want to publish. Well, this. I I always created. Okay. So like mm-hmm. I would. Here's how, I will use the word ambitious because it's me telling the story. It might be someone might use a different word. Um. So like, I would have all of these ideas. So for instance, I would draw. I loved collecting Beanie Babies when I was younger. Yes. And so I would make my own Beanie Babies, color them, and then write poems and send them to Ty. Um, so they could go, because they went in the little heart. There was mm-hmm. always the poem that told you their name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm, I, would, I did that all the time. I created an entire video game, found Sega of America and Nintendo of America's phone number mm-hmm. in the library, went home, called them. And this was when I was like in sixth grade, seventh grade, <laughs> called them. The secretary answered, and without saying hello, I pitched them my story for 35 minutes. 
And both of the ladies were so nice. They didn't <laughs> hang up on me. They just transferred me to development. And then they... Who hung up on you? <laughs> and then development was like, hi, what you doing? And then I proceeded to do the same thing. And they'd stop me and go, do you have a demo? And I'm in seventh grade. And I'm like, what the heck's a demo? They're like, figure out how to... And they said some jargon. And then I hung up. And I was like, I'm going to get this video game made. And then, you know, I went to high school and I forgot about it. And <laughs> so, so, cool, so, and, you know, I, I, I was doing that um, from the get-go. And when you think of stories that you've read before, because obviously, I mean, I personally think we're all kind of like just living, breathing reflections of all the stories we've consumed. You want to be a storyteller. Sometimes there are stories that are underappreciated or underrated. What do you think, in your opinion, is one of those stories that might be underappreciated from your experiences? One of my favorite novels that I don't know very many people have read is Christopher Christopher Moore's, I think it's called The Island of the Love Sequenced Nun. Um, he's I've a... not ever heard of that. Same. He's a comedic writer-ish, but um, I really enjoy it. I think there's a lot of... A lot of really good stuff in there. Obviously, uh, he's really quirky, really, really... F- I, I find his writing very funny, um, very sharp. Um, but there's a lot of really interesting kind of, like, social things um, going on there. And there's some philosophical things. And he doesn't beat you over the head with it, but they're in there. But, yeah, it was, it's about a cargo cult. You guys know what cargo cults are. I couldn't begin. Maybe nope. is it people who... Wear cargo pants when they shouldn't, which is everyone who Do wears they, cargo pants. Uh, close. All right. They carry cargo and ship cargo. You're getting warmer. <gasps> back kind in of back <laughs> in World War II, um, with all of our ships going over like the Pacific and Japan mm-hmm. and all of those fights, um, a lot of indigenous people have never seen that technology, and so planes would crash mm. on islands, and they would think it was from the gods. Um, and so there are documented, um, there, there are documented, um, actual, I guess, uh, cultures now, uh, founded around cargo and cargo, they're called cargo cults. Wow. Um, and so this book kind of, um, explores that, which I found was really interesting. That was the first time I've heard about it. And then after I read the book, I learned more about it and, Mm -hmm. History Channel has a whole documentary on that as well. Amazing. We'll also take a sponsorship from the History Channel. <laughs> so yeah, so I think I think Christopher Moore um, is underappreciated. I think you know graphic novels in general are underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for some odd reason, I, I find this really really interesting in our culture that the highest grossing mainstream media is derived from comic books. And yet, a kid in the hallway reading a comic book is somehow looked down upon when he's reading the same source material that everyone else in the school is raving about. Mm-hmm. And is probably better than what everyone else is consuming. Kind of defines also, I think, or investigates what we see as being 
legitimate literature, what is worth reading. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that anyone says, oh my gosh, the Academy Award winning movie um, Endgame, but people love it um, all the same. So does that make it any less of a film just because it doesn't have accolades? Does a comic book become any less legitimate a piece of literature just because it has images associated with the storytelling? Mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of an interesting way that we look at success. And so kind of going with that, what what does literary success look like to you, right? All authors have their own processes, their own way of creating the worlds that they make. Um, and then I think their own definitions of success. So how do you know, or maybe how will you feel like you have achieved your definition of literary success? Just producing the physical manifestations of what is in my head. And so what I mean by that is creating something into this world that did not exist prior to me making it. Mm -hmm. And I could care less whether or not um, I sell any books. I I mean, okay, I do care. (laughs) But um, that's really not the goal or the purpose. The purpose is is twofold. The purpose is, number one, is to tell the stories that I want to tell and create something that wasn't created. And the other purpose, um, and this is kind of new to me, um, is I'm going to be a father here soon. I have my first We're child. We're so excited. Um, I want to be able to look my daughter in the eyes and tell her that she could do whatever she puts her mind to. And these stories, this graphic novel, what I make is proof to her. It's not, um, it's not parent conjecture. It's not, it's not, you know, fluff. It's real. That's why I'm doing it. That's beautiful. I'm really, um, kind of, inspired or intrigued by the idea that your original creation, the storytelling that you've done has been born of your family experience. And in a way, your definition of success is also um, defined by your relationship to family. And I think that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. And I mean, isn't that ultimately why we all tell stories anyway, is that connection with one another to one another on so many different levels in different ways. Truly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think of, when I think of my dad too, like he was always my superhero. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Like your daughter's going to be able to think of you as literally like, superhero. As, right, like you created <laughs> a comic book. Like you made a superhero, and you're going to be your superhero. <laughs> my next question in general: Wait. What? I'm, I'm just picturing like an interaction in your head. Like your daughter's going to like kindergarten and there's like what does your parents do and like your daughter doesn't really dad writes comment my dad's the antichrist <laughs> i might get a phone call then I might well, get a- but you know this, the stereotype of comic books superheroes yeah. villains blah blah blah, 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 blah. blah. my dad's a superhero do I'd- you hope i guess i don't know my original question was what's the first story you want to read your daughter um Man of Sin is about a father, too, which I think is just, it's like a pivotal time in your life right now with your career sort of as a writer taking off, your beautiful family is taking this next leap, Mm -hmm. and 
I don't know if necessarily Man of Sin is going to be the first story you want to read to her, but in general, what do you imagine yourself reading to her first? Whatever books my wife puts in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Amazing. This is She's G-Money. got it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, my. I'm trying to th- like so. My mom was first off like I get my weirdness and my quirkiness and my esoteric interests <laughs> from my mother, um, and my mom like let me pretty much watch. And, and read whatever I wanted if I ever had mm-hmm. if I ever had like any questions she was very upfront about it like and I think that helped me like it didn't make something seem taboo I di- it didn't make something seem forbidden it helped me and allowed me to process stuff in that same regard um you know I wasn't reading those at like three like this was like middle school thinking about like high school that stuff um, so I don't know the f- the first story will probably be some sort of children's book. Maybe my next book will be a a, a, a children's, children's board book. Superhero, you know, children's superheroes. Maybe, Child of sin. Yeah. <laughs> it, it probably won't be a horror book. No. So I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have like a story set in place mm-hmm. that I would. I would read my daughter. Um, What's your next step? What are What are you working on? You outlined for us. Um, the four-volume version of your novel as a text. Um, what other things are you looking forward to in the future? Where are you, where are you headed? Um, I don't know. That's a very good question. So where am I headed? Um, I'm publishing, so I'm going to self-publish Man of Sin. Mm-hmm. Um, where uh, that will be out and at Halloween, like it'll be Perfect out ready timing. for Halloween. Yeah. Um, then from that, I will probably do one of my next stories I have in line. Um, one story that I was actually working on is literally almost a carbon copy identical version is being published by Dark Horse right now. So that like took a whole lot of (laughs) wind out of my sails. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that one went into the garbage. Um, so I, I will, you know, I, I really think it's all about your next step is is really all about leveling up, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I started out with, um, I started my comic career doing three-page comics in these little independent anthologies. And then from there, I self-published my first, like, 22-page story. Then from there, I wrote, you know, four issues of Man of Sin. From there, I collected it into a, a graphic novel. And I really think, you know... When you're talking about writing stories, especially in this day and age, you don't need anyone. You could do it just like you're doing this podcast. You don't need anyone. Um, and I think one one big thing that when I was younger is um, I didn't have you know the internet as we know it today, um, and so I was looking for permission mm-hmm. from someone. I, I don't need anyone's permission to go and make a comic. I don't need anyone's permission to write a script. I'll write what I I feel I need to write or what's speaking to me, and then I will go out and, and do it. Um, the The next step is really just continuing to cultivate an audience because that's really what's important. Mm-hmm. It isn't um, it isn't so much about 
publishing stuff as much as it is getting people that your stuff resonates with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think you've got, you've obviously got your fans here. We're happy to promote oh, in you. every way, shape and form mm-hmm. we can. Um, but thank you so much for coming in and talking about your process and, and kind of opening up your world and giving us an opportunity to see what the world behind Man of Sin looks like, but also the world behind someone else's creative process. I think it's an exciting gift to give to other people is to let them into your lives in that way. So thank you for giving us. You're very, very welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we are going to um, put up the link to Andrew Gildy's Kickstarter um, for his graphic novel. So if Man of Sin is something that I would highly recommend, first of all, that you check out, but also something that you're interested in supporting, um, please go to that Kickstarter. I know there'll be about a week left, I think, by the time this podcast rolls out um, to to help fund the, the four volume set so please take a look at that we'll also post some cool images and pictures um, from the graphic novel itself and um, we're again looking forward to kind of inviting more original content on this and exploring other authors works because I think there's so many ways to define that single word Um, so thank you Katie Saul for guest hosting as well Um, thank you John for being absent (laughs) yeah thanks John for not coming (laughs) Um, and we look forward to putting out another episode we've got um, another uh, famous poet that we're going to be taking a look at next week again Um, and so I guess we'll conclude like we usually do thank you as always for keeping it lit